For those of you who've received something from me, um, you're free to consume it, use it, put it on a plaque uh, somewhere in your room, show it to your neighbour here. As you feel convicted or see fit, use it. Yeah? So, <laughs> um, basically, today, um, I'm going to be speaking about providence, uh, the providence of God. Um, effectively, am I out? Cool. So, a great providence. Um, and that's my message to you guys today. Now, today I'm not talking about Providence being the large capital um, in Rhode Island, which is in uh, the United States of America. Uh, this city was founded by uh, this guy called Roger Williams um, in about the 17th century. Um, he effectively was exiled from Massachusetts, which is literally just under New York. It's in the middle there. You can't quite see it, but... Um, it's there, and he was, he was banished basically from the Puritans um, in the 17th century, and he went away, because, and this is because of his thoughts about God, his, his religious thoughts, and he went away looking for land, um, effectively, and he was in a state of just bewilderment, uh, basically, didn't, didn't know what to do, um, and he came across the city, Providence. And he, he effectively named it. He only bought part of the land from the indigenous people. And then he named it Providence because he said God had been merciful to him in his providence to him. So, um, effectively, that's what I'm exploring today. Not this city itself, but the actual providence of God. Um, and as you delve sort of further into the life of Mr. Williams, you kind of come to find that some of his ideas about God might have been a bit misconceived or... Um, a bit different, shall we say, but I think the principle remains the same um, with, uh, with, with Mr. Williams. And that was the fact that God um, had been to a man who is in need, he's of no particular merit for what he's about to receive. Um, he's at worst wretched at heart and at best still wretched at heart. <laughs> um, and, and yet he receives this grand unmerited provision from God and that's the story for all of us here today yes. we're people who every day God is gifting us stuff and giving us life and, and giving us a, a bunch of stuff in, in everything we do God is constantly providing for us and we're not necessarily deserving of it yeah um, so one of the ways the dictionary defines providence is actually as the protective care of God or of nature as a spiritual power now we know the form is true i.e. God is the one who's providing for us. And if you attribute any providence to nature, you should always understand that God is the catalyst for that providence. And if you don't see it that way, then that's folly. It's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Because um, some, some people do believe that everything's from the universe, as it were. You know, it's just from, from nature. It just happens. Well, there's some things literally that we get from the universe. Literally, we get oxygen from, from trees. So, yeah, that's from the universe. But it's attributable to God's providence. And God's creation. So you, you, you can't do without God um, when you talk about providence. So the Bible throughout um, calls God a bunch of different names. Uh, we, we know God by a bunch of different names. Now, one of them is Jehovah Rapha. So we know him as the Lord who heals. Uh, we know him as Jehovah Nisi, the Lord Albana. And we have him as Jehovah Makadesh, uh, the Lord who sanctifies, makes holy. Uh, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, Jehovah Elohim, he's the Lord our God. Uh, we have Jehovah uh, Tzidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, Jehovah Rohi, the Lord um, our shepherd, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is here, Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. I don't know if you guys can see it clearly because the sun is literally fighting me uh, today, but it's fine, we'll get through. Um, so so w- there's so many different names that the Bible calls God, and I wanted to focus on the name that we have for God in the Bible, which is... Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Um, so I take sort of the premise of my uh, message from mainly from Genesis, and this is the story of Abraham, obviously when he's sacrificing Isaac. Um, Jehovah Jireh was the memorialized name that Abraham gave to Mount Moriah when he was making this sacrifice. He basically called a mountain Jehovah Jireh. Um, and we understand that that's how we refer to God, because he said, the Lord will provide. That's the reason why I call that name. So let's look at sort of Genesis, uh, Genesis 22, 6 to 14, if you can turn with me. Um, so that's Genesis 22, 6 to 14. 
And Abraham took the word of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took it in his hand and fire and the knife. So they, both, so, so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son. Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And they came to a place of which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order, that, and, in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by, by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering of, of, instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Or in the King James Version, we have, it shall be seen. Uh, some of you, you might be reading that. Um, so... Providence, uh, let's look at its Latin roots. Providence, the word itself, oh, shame I didn't have that up there, sorry guys. Um, so, pro- uh, ah, yes. so, providence itself, uh, or to provide, its Latin roots come from the word providere. Um, and basically that Latin word is made up of the word pro, which in Latin again means ahead, and we have videre, which is to see. So effectively, you put those words together and you have ahead to see. And if you translate it well in English, it comes to see ahead. So effectively, what that means is God is seeing ahead to it. And that's why, actually, if you have the Message Bible, it will interpret it as the Lord has, the Lord has sees, sees to it or the Lord has seen to it. That's how it actually interprets that very verse in itself. So that's effectively uh, what it means. And I think it's important to note something about uh, this passage that we've just read and the fact that it's... You know, it's not just um, the aspect of faith or the faith of Abraham, but it's actually the first recognizable um, act of God after the flood where he's actually providing for us. It's the first act where he's providing. And I think one of the big key points is he hasn't just, God, God doesn't just provide the substitution for Isaac, i.e., the lamb that he actually provides for, for, for Abraham to sacrifice. That's, that's not the only thing he provides. He actually provides the faith in itself that Abraham has. Yeah. And that's a key point because you know, we can sometimes get caught up and say, oh, if you don't have enough faith, you, know, you have to have faith in yourself. And one of the key points is that God himself is the great provider for faith. Amen. So any, any faith that you have is from God. It's not from you. Yeah? Amen. So let's take a look at, at a bit of a backdrop on, on this story in Genesis. So I'm going to go from Genesis 22 from verse 1 to 5. Yeah. yeah. So, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw, and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his two young men, stay here with, with the donkey, and I, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come, and come again to you. Um, I think I want to take greater note of the last verse there, which is verse 5, when he says, then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy We'll go over there and worship and come again to you. Some people haven't probably picked this up um, so much, but the crazy thing that Abraham is doing here, he's telling his workmen who he's leaving, and he's about to take Abraham, he's about to take Isaac to, to be sacrificed. He's telling them, I and Isaac are coming back to you. Now, like I said, this is why it's important to get the backdrop, because God has just said to Abraham, you need to go and sacrifice your kid. You need to go and kill your child, effectively. Yeah? And Abraham knows he's going to do this. 
But yet, he tells his workmen, oh, stay here, I'm coming back with, with Isaac. So there's two things here. Either Abraham's lying to his, to his friends outright. He's either lying, but I don't think that's actually the case. And, and, I, and the Bible actually shows that that's not actually the case. The actual case is Abraham believed that God somehow will provide a way for Isaac to still be with him. Because God had made a promise to him, to Isaac. God had, God had made a promise to Abraham, sorry, to say that this is your child of promise and, and you know, you'll father many nations. That's from Genesis 17, uh, Genesis 17, 19, where he actually says, I haven't got it up, but he says, so God said no to Sarah, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So that's the promise initially that God makes to Abraham to say, this kid of yours is going to father many nations. So imagine what's going through Abraham's head. Imagine what's going through. God's just told him he's going to kill you, and he's, he's, he's having to tell his friends, oh, don't worry, I'll be back. And, I'm, and, and, Abraham, and Isaac's coming with him, knowing full well he's going up there, and the likelihood is that he's not going to come back with his son. And so what, what will his friends be asking? You know, what will, what will his, his workmen be asking? But if you look further in Hebrews, so we've got Hebrews. Yeah, Hebrews eleven seventeen says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That's from Genesis uh, 17, which, 17, 19, which I just said. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which... Figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Some people haven't picked that. That is crazy. So literally, Abraham is going to kill Isaac, and he's believing and saying, I don't know how, but I know God will somehow bring my son back. Somehow I'm not going to lose Isaac today, and I, because I trust God's providence. And that, that's crazy in, in, in itself. So I, that, that's one thing I want us to, to think about, and think about the mind that... Um, Abraham had towards God and, and the mind that we should emulate, I think, uh, towards God in terms of providence. God is a God who provides. God is a God who loves us um, and, and he, he shows that throughout his word. And he shows, he's shown that in our lifespan. Every, the fact that everyone's here today, we can say God has provided enough for me to still be breathing, enough for me to still, to still be here. And even unto death, he provides. For, for the child of God, unto death, God still provides for him. Yeah. So I want to look at another point. Sometimes providence isn't obvious. Sometimes God's providence, God giving to us, God providing for us, it's not so obvious. And one of the uh, big standpoints that shows that is Esther. If you look at the story of Esther, um, we, we see that providence there, God is providing so heavily, but it's not so obvious. Um, I've got a quote from Tim Keller, and he says this. He says, God's hiddenness is not abandonment. His absence is never true. So what that means is just because you're not hearing from God, or it feels like you're not hearing from God, and, and just because your particular expectations of God, you, you, you are expecting God to give you something, or you are hoping and trusting God to give you something, and it doesn't come at the particular time that you want, um, doesn't mean God is not working on your behalf. Amen. Yeah? Amen. It doesn't mean that God is not you know, putting his great particular effort into loving you and, 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 and working um, to keep you and to love you. So let's look at Esther. One thing you'll note is that in, in the book of Esther, throughout the whole book of Esther, there is no mention of God at all. I don't know if anyone actually realised that. So, so if, you, if you read throughout Esther, there isn't one time that the book mentions God outright. It, never, it doesn't mention God outright throughout. So, but yet, we still see, and we, we still, you know, most of us say we'll still refer to the story of Esther as, oh, God did this, God came through for them um, in the book of Esther. But yeah, it doesn't mention God in the in whole book of Esther itself. Um, and I think what, what happens here is that God clearly reveals his work, um, his fingerprints, even if his name is not written on something. He's, he's still the catalyst behind it constantly. Uh, so basically, what happened is Mordecai. He gives instructions to Esther. He asks her to plead. He asks, he asks her to plead to King Xerxes um, for for the mercy on the Jews. Basically, the king um, had declared uh, this bill 
effectively saying that all the Jews will be killed. Yeah? And, and so, so there, all the Jews are afraid for their lives, and, and, and Mordecai is asking Esther to plead on behalf of them. Uh, now, you've got to remember that, obviously, Esther had hidden her identity. Um, she hadn't told him that she was a Jew, the king she was a Jew, and so, she, and, and so she was meant to make this plea. And she responds to Mordecai when he's asking her to make this plea. She responds back to him in, in such a way where she's reluctantly saying, oh, I'm not sure if I can do this because won't I die? And Mordecai responds saying this in Esther 4, um, verse 14. He says, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That's one of the big verses in, 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 in Esther. Now, one of the theories, um, it's thought, and, and it, it's a plausible theory, in all fairness, is that uh, obviously Mordecai, thought if Mordecai was, was the writer of Esther, um, and obviously when he was writing this book in Persia, while they were serving under the king, instead of directly crediting God the victory uh, of the Jewish people, Mordecai would have probably written it in such a way so as to protect himself um, and, and, and the Jews. So he would, and, and because they had sort of a polytheistic um, sort of culture, that means they had many gods, many religions um, at the time. And because they had that culture, he was probably trying to fit that culture, not to directly attribute things to God, because they would, they, he would have probably got himself in huge trouble. Um, and it would have been after him. So that's one of the thoughts there. But I don't think God, who is the orchestrator of all of Scripture, accidentally has his name left out of a whole book. That, that I, I just can't see. I cannot personally see that God, God, God would do that. God, by accident, oh, my name's just left out of the book. Whoops. That, that's, that's, I don't think that's how, that's how God would, 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 would deal with things. So, so I think there's great purpose in this. Um, and I think, I think God is showing that he's just as great, he's just as sovereign um, when it's not obvious yes. that he's there. When it's not obvious that he's the one working on your behalf, I think he shows that he's just as sovereign. Amen. And he remains great, and he remains great in your life, and he remains your provider. Yeah. Yeah. Now, again, it's important. I think one another, another important note is Esther, in the context of the whole story of Esther, she should actually be seen to us as onlookers, as people who are looking from the outside. She should actually be seen as the villain, sort of, to some degree. She should be seen as a villain. Because the context is this. Queen Vashti had been exiled, obviously, from the king. And that was because um, she basically had what we might understand to be integrity. She didn't want to come out for... All, all the king's men as a, as a big show so she refused to do that and that's why she was effectively banished now Esther comes in as a Jew and she denies number one that she's a Jew and then she's also really submissive to the king that in itself imagine what that looks like to the rest of the Jews who are like oh you're a traitor you know that in, in a sense in a sense that, that's the picture that we get here is that she's kind of oh you'd almost think she, you'd almost think she's a traitor so that, that's the context that, that, that we get here and I think yet, yet, had it not been for the exiling of the queen, how would have the Jews been saved? And it's funny because then Mordecai goes on to say, from another place, and he's talking about God. He's talking about God being the provider. That whatever man does, however fickle, menial, you know, minuscule that we think things are, or how we consider them, just know that God is working nonetheless. God is constantly working, he's constantly providing through my difficulty, through my good, God is working and he's providing for you and he's loving you. Uh, there's a quote that I have from a John, uh, from a John Greenleaf Witter. Um, he says this, God's providence is not blind, but it's full of eyes. Might not completely make sense uh some of you but but i think there's there's a big there's there's depth in this um in the fact that some people um think when you when you if you ever you know if you speak to i've got a few non-christian friends and sometimes some of their thought processes is that god sort of goes it did do the cat's got the flu dog's got the chicken box and out goes you and that's how he decides to choose who he provides for 
that's, that's sometimes the, the idea that, that's, that's the idea that people have because people will say, well, why has he got something and I haven't? So it must mean God is just, you know, oh, he's, he's just randomly, randomly picking or you, you just accidentally got, got this from God. No one accidentally got anything from God. When God gives, he's three things. He's intentional, he's purposeful and he's just. Amen. Yeah, he, gi- he, gives, he gives to people with a purpose. He's always got a purpose in mind, and that's always his glory, ultimately. Um, but, and, he, and he gives to people, and he, as I say, he doesn't randomly pick people. And I think God is intentional. He's always, when he's given to you, it's because he meant to give it to you. You know, he specifically chose you. It, it's, you know, you look, you look at the scriptures in Romans 9 where it says, I have chosen you before the world began. You know, not Romans 9, Ephesians, I'm thinking of, yeah. And, and, and he, says, he says, I've chosen you before the world began. He's chosen people. That's not an accident. If you're a child of God today, it's not an accident. It's a miracle. It's, grace of, it's the grace of God. It's the mercy of God. And it's the fact that he's decided outrightly to pick you. That in itself is more than enough to say God is a great provider. Yeah? So I guess one of the questions would be, well, we... We as people, as, pe- as fallen creatures, as, as fallen people under God, we deserve obliteration. In the most basic sense, we should be obliterated from the face of the earth. Some people might think, well, that's unfair. Why should I be obliterated from the earth? That's a bit, you know, that's, that's a bit biased to some degree because some people aren't obli- obliterated and, you know, as, as someone else is. But who's to say that is unfair? Who's to say that you deserve another day in this earth. Who, who's to say? I mean, re, seriously, if, when, when we look, when push comes to shove and we, we, we look at each other and we look at inwardly and we say, I'm still here. Who, who's to say that you, you deserve to be, to be here? What, what, enti- what right of entitlement do you have to remain here? Mm. And the truth is none. Yeah. You've got no entitlement to remain here. And to say that God's providence is fair, I actually think, to some degree, is far-fetched. Because we don't deserve it. He gives to people who don't deserve it. Constantly, when you, you look at the Israelites and you look at how they, when they were journeying from Egypt um, to the Promised Land, throughout uh, the sort of very beginning part of, of, of Scripture, you see this constant pattern of the Israelites rebelling against God, God fixes their issues, says, here you go, now worship me. They rebel against God again. God fixes their issues, God says, no, worship me. They rebel against God again, and God is constantly providing and constantly having mercy for them. And that, that's the kind of God that we serve. He's, he's constantly having mercy on us, people who do not deserve it. Um... Just going off my notes a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so as I said, God, God is three things. He is purposeful, intentional, and he is just. So the circumstances under which he gives to us, in and of themselves, they're not just. Because he, he, he shouldn't, you know, we, we don't deserve to get things that God gives us. So the circumstances are not just. But God himself is just. Yeah, he is just. And, and, you know, you look at Isaiah, um, Isaiah 53, 5, when he talks about how Jesus, and, and it's the reflection of Jesus when he says he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the chastisement was upon him that brought us peace, um, and he was wounded so that we can be healed. That was the substitute that God gave to people who didn't deserve it. And that's us. That's us as people who don't deserve God's mercy. Um, one thing that God has always shown throughout Scripture is he's always given an assurance, a complete assurance to incomplete people. Yes. Yeah, we get a complete assurance for people who are incomplete, who, who mess up all the time. One of those assurances is in Matthew 7, uh, verse 7 to 11. So he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And one who seeks finds. 
and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? That is an amazing promise from God. That is an amazing promise from God to say that through everything, through absolutely everything, I can just go to him, I can ask and say, God, please, in your name, would you see me through this? The way, the way Abraham, the way Abraham was, was taking his kid and he's having to tell people, I don't know how, but I'll be back with, with my son. With my son. God, God, somehow God is going to sort this out and, and provide for me. And I'm trusting God absolutely, unreservedly, which is why I can say to people, no, I'm coming back. And that, that was the heart of Abraham. And, it, and, and, this, and that's because of promises that God has made to us as this. And it's funny because obviously I, I've given stuff to particular people. Um, and I'm, I'm not perfect at all. I'm messed up. I, didn't even, I couldn't even give for the rest for the whole of the church. That's how messed up I am. I can't, I can't give praises for the whole of the church. But yeah, God is merciful and he can give gifts to all. And, and, and when, he, when you ask, he, he's able to provide and he's, and he's gracious in doing so. But one thing I think we should remember, one thing I think is so important when, when we view God and when we think about God's providence is to remember that God doesn't owe you. God, God is not, when God gives to you, which he promises he will, he, will, he does promise to you that he, that he will give to you if you ask, he doesn't owe you. He hasn't dropped the ball somewhere early along the line and he's like, oh, goodness, I've got, I've got to make this up to you, mate, haven't I? <laughs> yeah? <laughs> I only nicked a couple of quid from you, like, you know, before, so oh, I've got to sort you out, mate. No, that's, that's, not, like, that, that's, that's not the kind of relationship we have with God. He's not, he's, he's, he's not compensating for some sort of failure. He's given to you out of his love, out of his grace, out of his mercy to people, again, who do not deserve it. That's right. Yeah. I've got a quote here from um, Shailin, and, and he says, Seen through the eyes of faith, our human problems are merely opportunities for divine provision. And how true is that? I think we look at all our issues that we have, flat tire, um, door hinges coming off um, I don't know rusty rusty wall rusty stuff I don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we think of all these sort of minuscule things that, 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 that bother us and we think we take, we take for granted the opportunity that we can actually fix them <laughs> so for, the, you know, for most of us here in this room we have the opportunity to sort little things like that out and God gives us the provision to be able to sort things like that out. That in itself, those things that you view as minuscule and small and minor are great things in the grand scheme of things. They're all opportunities in which God can say, here you go. Here you go. That's my love for you. That's, that's my provision for you. Yeah? And one of the other great ways in which God provides, we see in Hebrews. Um, so Hebrews ten fourteen. For by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So if you guys pay attention to when David's preaching uh, all the time, you see he's, um, I think in his previous series, when he's going through John and and we're looking heavily at the whole idea of God has justified us and God is sanctifying us and then we go on to a stage of glorification. That's right. Right? So so in this lifetime here... um, God is sanctifying us. He's making us more like Jesus, effectively. Yeah? And that promise alone, he says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That, that in itself is an, uh, it's, it's an oxymoron. Because God has perfected, almost past tense, he's finished the work in people who are yet to be being made, who are yet being sanctified, who are yet being finished off. And, and that, that in itself is great providence. Because not everyone is being sanctified. Yeah? And not everyone is, is on their way to glorification. 
But the fact that he would pick unperfect people like us to be sanctified is great in itself. And it's crazy because when you look back um, in, in Hebrews, and you look at Hebrews 5.11, you look at who the people who he's addressing, who he says to them, the, the people who he's saying, you will be perfected, or you, you have been perfected um, because you're being sanctified. He says, these are the same people who he addresses um, in Hebrews 5.11. And he says, about this we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. It's the same people who That's he's right. addressing. And, and what he's just said in, in Hebrews 5.11 is that you people, you don't listen. You don't, he basically says, you don't listen. You've got your own um, the, you know, theories, philosophies, and, 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 and ideologies that you're basically believing in. And it's not me. And he's getting angry at those people in, verse, in, in, in chapter 5, verse 11. And then he goes on in Hebrews, verses, you know, chapter 10, verse 14, to say, you're the same people. That's right. You're the same people who have been perfected. Yes. That's crazy. That, that's, that's mad. So let's put it in a bit, in a bit, uh, in a bit of context. So um, ah, let's say you're a manager. Yeah? Let's, let's say you're a manager. You're managing at work um, and you know, you, you've, got, you've got your employees and whatnot. And they're doing their work. And one of them is this rebellious sort of worker who comes in really late every day, leaves, extra, leaves two minutes early before 5.28 is, is when he leaves. And, 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 people, and you start keeping an eye on him. And he doesn't do his work. He slouches. He you know, tries to chill out. And, and he's just a horrendous worker, basically. Yeah? And imagine you have someone like that and you, and you then have a moment where you hammer down on them, where you really go at them and say, what are you doing? You cannot be working like this. You, know, you give them all these warnings. And then the next day, the same guy comes in late. <laughs> He's about to leave this time at 8.25. <laughs> or not 8.25, 5.25. He's about to leave. And then you stop him on the way. You stop him and you say, you are going to get a promotion. That, that's effectively, that's effectively like what you're looking at. That's, that's, that's the kind of context that, that you're getting here. People who are so messed up. And God says, I'm going to perfect you. Amen. And I have perfected you and I've loved you and I'm making you better. It's one of the scriptures, yeah, that when I was at my, my early days when I was first a Christian and I heard this scripture, Psalms 37, 25. I've been young and now I'm old and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. I remember, I remember the scripture confused me a little bit because I was like, well, people do still beg for bread though. Really, I mean, you know, seriously, people do still struggle. You, you know, you're a bit low on funds, you're a bit low on stuff. So we still kind of do beg. I don't get how David's going to say that. How's he going to say people... You know, he's never seen people begging for bread. He himself was begging from Abimelech as well um, uh, uh, earlier on. Now, what it's, from, it's, it's, it's important to remember, Psalm 37, the early part of Psalm 37 is effectively David, he's talking about the contrast between the wicked and the righteous, and he's saying all the wicked people are getting this stuff. Yeah, and, and you, the righteous, you who are God's people, you shouldn't look upon that and in, in envy or in any way, because they'll get what is coming to them, effectively. Says they'll get their reward, and he tells you not to worry about it. But then he, and then he goes on to say this thing, to say, I have been young, and I am old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken, or begging for bread. Literally, in terms of the, in terms of the literal meaning, if you, if you literally look at this, you've got to think, oh, well, that's, that can't be true. Surely you've seen in your time people begging for bread. And, and even though he's referring directly to the righteous, he must have seen even some of the righteous begging for bread. Even from his own ancestry, he knows people have begged for bread. So that, that, it, can't, it can't be a case of where he's physically saying, physically no one ever begs for bread. It's got to be more than that. 
And I think, I think here's what he's actually driving at. If, if we keep in mind, the Old Testament is constantly a spotlight for the gospel. Yeah, it's like a shadow of the gospel and a shadow of the New Testament. Um, and that's, that's what the Old Testament is. And I think, I think that God, in his greatness, is in, sovereign, in, in his sovereignty, is saying, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children without children begging for bread not mainly because God is constantly giving you bread but because Jesus himself is the bread Hallelujah. because Jesus himself is, is the bread of life <laughs> that's what he says in the New Testament and I think the point that he's getting at is for a child who is constantly in Jesus who abides in Jesus is never without bread <laughs> is never without bread is never, is never lacking yeah, God is, con- is constantly given to those. And, and the, tr- the truth is, God does give um, to, to people who are in need. Yeah? He, does, he does give to, give to people who are in need. But even greater than that, I think, because Jesus himself is the bread. So we never get to that. Yeah? Now, it's important as well to look at the lifespan in which he's talking about. He says, I was young, I was old. Um, and... The idea is that from however young he was to however old he is, throughout that time, God has constantly loved him. God has constantly provided for him and been merciful to him. Yeah? And I think that's the same for us. I think we can echo that. We can say, in my life, I've had really difficult times. You know, I've, I've had times where you know, things just weren't looking up. Um, and, and yet I'm here today. You know, and yet God is, is constantly still perfecting me, still sanctifying me, still making me better. He's still providing for me, he's still loving me. Amen. Yeah. There are some preachers, right, that you might listen to, some people, who will tell you that you should never be sick. I, I, I've actually been to a place once where a preacher said, oh, how can you preach the gospel if you're sick? How can you heal people if you yourself are ill? And there are some people who say you should never be low on funds. You should never be lacking in money. How can someone preach the gospel who's got tattered clothes? I heard it, I literally heard it said like that. And one of the points, one of the points that they would say, these, these are the word of faith sort of circles um, they would say you don't have enough faith you don't have enough faith that is why you're struggling that's why you're low on funds that's why things are not working for you and one thing they forget is Satan the devil he can destroy people in two ways two ways one way is pain difficulty Another way is pleasure. God can cause you so much pain that you would curse. Oh, not God, sorry. The devil can, can, can cause you so much pain that you curse God. And the devil at the same time, in the same sentence, can cause you so much pleasure that you forget God. So it's important to, that, that we understand how we perceive what is providence. What is God? What, what, when is God providing for me? When funds are low, when things are difficult, when, when, it's, when, it, when things are a bit hazy, people are neglecting, leaving me, abandoning me, left, right and centre, sometimes God is providing for you right there. Right, right there in that difficult moment, that is God providing for you because if you never had that moment, so I want to understand how do I perceive, when is God providing for me? The answer is all the time. The answer is all the time God is providing for me when things are really difficult and, 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 and life is just getting the best of you. God is still providing for you in those times, in those moments. I think it's important. Uh, Paul Tripp says this, God's providence is, is not an invitation um, to withdraw what is owed to you when, if, when you feel like. Your prayers are not word coins that you put in a cosmic vending machine. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, it's, uh, 
prayer here, here and there. Because and, some people have said, oh, you know, let's send up prayers to the Lord and the floodgates open. And, you know, some, and it's with the idea that, you know, we're throwing... You know when you throw wish, wishing bottles? Is it, what's it called? Wishing bottles? When you, when you put a wish in a bottle and you throw oh, it at yeah, sea. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's how some people think like, that God is. He's it's, it's just a big sea and just throw bottles of prayer and, you know, there's, there's no way that he won't answer. He'll come back. Yeah? That's, that's not who God is. That's, that's not what God is. The, the posture of prayer should always be submission and not demand. Yes. It is, I get to come to my king, I get to come to Jesus, I get to worship God in this moment in time, and I'm asking, Lord, help me right now with your grace. And he's faithful and just to give to you. And his mercies are new every morning. Yeah? John 15. Um, John 15, 7 to 8. says, if you abide in me, my words, and if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As I said, God is always purposeful when he gives to you. Um, I, I heard this once from a specific preacher. He's quite a popular one, actually. I, I literally heard him say this. Um, he was preaching that somewhere, um, and it was on TV, and he said, place $100 on your bedroom mirror and stick it on there and keep speaking to it every morning and tell it to multiply. And... <laughs> He literally was telling people this and, and said, God would give you, God, God would give you what you needed. And people were coming up and actually trying to give testimonies to say, yes, God had given me loads, loads and loads of money and loads, loads of this. Do you know that if at all those testimonies were true, there is every possibility that the devil was at work? Yes. Every possibility that the devil was at work slowly just eroding your heart, eroding your heart away from God. Kevin DeYoung says, God doesn't have to put you in paradise to keep his promises. Sometimes Egypt will do. That's a good quote. I thought thought that was a pretty good quote. and, and, And it's true. Sometimes Egypt will do just fine. That is God providing for you uh, sometimes. And, and, and as I say, it's this story that we see with the Israelites who are constantly rebelling against God, constantly saying, God, why are we in this? Why have you brought us out of Egypt? You know, we wanted to return to Egypt. You know, that was their heart and they were annoyed. And they, don't, they, they couldn't see the bigger picture. They couldn't see how great God's providence actually was. That even in their time in the wilderness, even in their time in the wilderness, it was a chance for God to show his greatness, his love for them. Um, I want to go back to Abraham. We, uh, we look at that scripture and go, so I'm going back. Okay. So, Wait for it. <laughs> um, yeah. So we, we look at that scripture and we look at how Abraham had called, um, in verse 4, the Mount Moriah, he called it the Lord will provide. Yes. Yeah. Said on that day, on verse 14, so said on that day, on the Mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Yeah. I think there is more to that to, to that statement what he says as i said there's you know the old testament is a spotlight it's a constant spotlight of the new testament and i think when he says that when he says the lord will provide as he said in that day on the mount of the lord it shall be provided i think he's referring to calvary that's right he's, he's referring to calvary and he's referring to jesus who who then comes and when jesus died for us god himself provided the ultimate sacrifice and that in itself was the ultimate providence of God 
Yeah? On Calvary, on the cross, when Jesus died for us, when, when we struggle constantly, when we have difficulties with our family, when our you know, children are going wayward, um, when, when life is getting on top of you, when you are struggling with debts, when you are struggling with d- diseases, with, with financial crisis, God, in his greatness, in his love for you, he has provided all that you need. He is bread. And it's like how Romans says, what shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. And constantly God is, is, is yet still going to continue to provide for us when we are even glorified with him in heaven. Yeah. So at the start of the day, I gave stuff to people. Yeah, I gave some random stuff to people. Now, some of you might have thought, well, I don't want this. <laughs> some of you might have thought, well, I wanted something else, um, or I want what someone else has got next to me. Um, I'm not sure what you guys thought of my gifts. They're probably a bit naff, in all fairness. But, <laughs> um, but, but, but the idea remains that, that some of you were looking sort of anxiously, like, oh, what's he giving to, what's he giving to that person? What did he give? What did he, what did he give to, to so and so? And it's crazy because some of us who got those things think, "Ah, oh, I don't really want this." Actually, I think that's how we are with God sometimes. Those of you who I gave gifts to you, I was intentional about giving you a gift. You did not ask me for that gift. You'd not done anything particularly, you know. Um, different to, to, to make me give you that gift. Yeah, I gave you that gift. And people around you looked at you and thought, oh, I want that, I'm envying. And the people, some people were a bit annoyed and someone said, you know, why did, where's mine? <laughs> someone said, where's mine? Now, as, I know that's funny, it's a stroke, but this is actually the heart of some of us with God. Yes. When he's giving stuff to other people, we're, we're looking at God, where's mine? Yeah. Who said you were entitled to that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah? Who, who, who said, who said you, you deserved to have it? What, what right, what, what, you know, outright did you have to a gift? And it's important to, to, to just keep that in mind. And I'm imperfect, as I say, so, you know, I probably owe someone anyway <laughs> when I gave you those gifts. But, uh, but God owes nobody. God owes absolutely Nobody. And yet he gives. He gives and gives and gives in his love for us. He's given us stuff. God's providence is constantly painting a picture of his love for those who don't ask for it, who don't deserve it, who don't even appreciate it when it comes sometimes. And yet he is constantly providing for us. And it was none more evident than it was on the cross when he gave his life for sinners like you and me. God was provided. I want to finish off and and just say, I I saw this um, lovely hymn that John Newton had um, written uh, some time ago. If you look at my notes, I've got the whole um, hymn itself. But um, I've I've taken up just the last two paragraphs of, of the hymn. Uh, itself. Wait for it. <laughs> I always seem to do this, don't I? Um, yes, lovely, thank you. <laughs> so, John Newton writes this How bitter the cup, no heart can conceive. And I'm, I'm looking at the last two paragraphs of this hymn. How bitter the cup, no heart can conceive, which he drunk quite up that sinners might live. His way was much rougher and darker than mine. Did Jesus thus suffer? And shall I repine? Since all that I meet shall work for my good. The bitter is sweet, the medicine is food. Though painful at present, till cease before long. And then, oh, how pleasant the conqueror's song. Amen. Amen. I want to leave you with a last quote. Um, I want you to go home today 
and know that through all your trials and tribulations that you will face in this week, and through all your difficulty, you can trust God. You can trust God to provide. You can trust... We can trust the past of God's mercy. We can trust the present to God's love. And we can trust the future to God's providence. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you um, because you're great, because you're merciful, because you're loving to people who don't deserve to have love. I just want to ask, Lord, for your mercy, for your love. Um, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see you um, the way that you should be seen. As a great God who is worthy of worship, who is worthy of our praise, who is worthy of our submission. I pray you'd help us to see you in that way, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to trust in your providence. I I pray that you'd help us to learn to ask for your providence. I pray that you'd help us to learn to know that you are not a vending machine, Lord. We cannot demand things from you. But we trust you. We trust your love. And we trust in the finished work of your son, Jesus Christ, for us. Knowing that he was the bread, and because he was the bread... We can, we, can, we can trust your word when you say that you are able to give abundantly, more abundantly, above all that we can ever ask according to your purpose, Lord. We can trust you. We can trust you to, to, to give in that way. And, Lord, I just pray that you would help us in our situations, in, in our individual sort of trials that we may be facing and difficulties that we may be facing. I pray you would help us to trust you unreservedly, unconditionally and constantly by your help by your help, by your grace, by your Holy Spirit help us to do so Lord I thank you because you are the great provider in Jesus name I pray, Amen Amen, Amen. 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 Amen.